Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. I thank you, Lord, um, for this great gospel of Matthew. I thank you uh, for the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where we have Jesus' teaching uh, recorded for us. And Lord, as we um, continue to sort of investigate money and trust and anxiety and worry and concern that are all sort of intertwined, um, Father, I pray that your word um, would speak to us. Uh, Lord, I believe that worry and anxiety is something that sort of um, hits all of us as humans. And so we ask that you would, Lord, just uh, help our minds to focus on your word. And we ask that your spirit would reach just each person where, where they are. Uh, Lord, I thank you that you are a God who cares for us. I thank you um, that you desire to provide for us. And so, Lord, we... Um, we just come before you and ask that you administer to our, our hearts today. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so, Father, we do thank you, Lord, for this encouraging word. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to take it to heart and to apply it to our lives. We thank you for Christ who makes this possible for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. I, um, I, I, I love this section of the Bible. This is probably one of my um, favorite passages in, in Matthew, if not the, the, the whole New Testament, the Bible. Um, it, it's not a passage I really have a strong desire to even preach through right now because um, I would rather just soak it in. Um, I have so much to learn from this. I'm not saying that I don't want to preach through it, but, but this is an area that, is a, that has been a long-standing sort of struggle with me. I, I've often joked that I have the spiritual gift of worrying. Um, I don't like it. I would, I, I would desire to be freed from anxiety and worry and concern. And so I come to this passage as a passage that I've turned to over the years to, to help me uh, to, to gain ground. It, it's encouraging because God wants us to be freed from the bondage of worry and anxiety. Um, I do think that this is a subject that we can all relate to. Um, according to a psychologist, I haven't read his book, but I can get quotes from people's books that I haven't read, um, just as a disclaimer. Um, according to psychologist Robert Leahy's book, Anxiety Free, he says this, the average American child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient did in the 1950s. Uh, he continues, we live in the age of anxiety. We've become a nation of nervous wrecks. And I can say there's probably like, we could probably all amen to that, or at least I can. Um, it's so easy to understand this passage. I, I just read it. We all, Jesus says, don't worry. Stop worrying. Stop worrying. Stop worrying. Your, your heavenly father cares for you. The application of this, however, is a little bit more tricky. Um, and my prayer is, 
um, that today might be the beginning where we can grow in this area of, of truly trusting God. He begins the text in verse 25, for this reason I say to you. And so there's sort of in this phrasing, for this reason, well, what's the reason? I, 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 I ditched, well, I didn't ditch church last week. I, I, I was even here before and after. I had a dear friend in Calvary Chapel, Fallbrook, who, who asked if I could preach for him so he could go on vacation. So I, I, I helped him. And so I wasn't here, although I did listen to the message to see what Ben said about me, because he's like, I got back. He's like, yeah, I kind of made fun of you. I'm like, ah, well, I got I to gotta listen to the sermon so I know. Um, so Jesus, this is the Sermon on the Mount. He's been talking for a few chapters now. And he says, for this reason, the reason, if we're to, to locate the reason, I think is the, the immediate few words right before this in verse 24 where he concludes uh, the section that Ben taught on saying you cannot serve God in wealth. Uh, you can't. You can only have one master. And in large part, if you do not have a theological framework that God exists, like most of our world and most of our culture today, money, logically, practically speaking, becomes your God. Because if you have money, you can take care of things. You can handle stuff. Uh, even as Christians, God provides for us and he provides our food and clothes often through a paycheck. And then we use that paycheck. And so it's very easy. And I think what Jesus is getting at, I think it's so common that people of all times, we take our eyes off the one who blesses us and we put it on the thing, the, this money. And he says, for this reason, you can't have two gods. And if we scam this, skim this section, uh, we're going to see this phrase, don't be worried. Uh, worry is a word that is linked to insomnia, which I could give another amen to that. Because uh, isn't it true that the moment you like lay down to bed, you just start to doze off and you have the like, <gasps> and it's like, then you have everything in the world. So I don't keep a, I kind of keep a list by my bed, but it's not the traditional list. I keep an iPhone there and then I have my list on my iPhone that I can quickly like write all of my worries down. Um, but, but, but as we look at worry in this section, six times today we're going to look at this word worry. Verse 25, he says, do not be worried. Verse 27, uh, who by being worried can? Um, verse 28, why are you worried? Verse 31, do not worry. Verse 34, so do not worry. And then verse 30 is sort of the, the dagger in your back, if you're of faith, that twists. <laughs> you have little faith. And the beauty of this passage is, is we see this sort of the contrast. The, 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 the more weight you have in worry, the less your faith is. And, and Jesus here is trying to help us to see God so that God becomes more weightier on the scale and, the, and then our worry goes away. Look at verse 26. Yet your heavenly Father, verse 30, but if God, will he not much more? Verse 32, for your heavenly Father knows. This whole section, Jesus is beautifully trying to get his hearers and us to see that God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, knows you, he cares for you, he desires to provide for you, he wants you to trust in him, he wants you to be freed from the bondage, the slavery, the, 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 the misery of being worried. And so I'm preaching to myself, guys. Like I, I'm sorry if I get a little like, like guys, I'm really talking to myself. Um, I, I do want to make a contrast. I, I, I realize that through this, I said to start with, I'd rather soak this in than to preach on it because within me, there's this, there's this balance. I think there's a difference be, between concern and worry. Um, the Bible con conveys throughout, you know, we, the point to the ant and summer's coming and for those of us in Valley Center, we know how 
horrible those little guys are. I mean, like the war has begun in my house. Anna's like nodding. We lost a coffee pot because the ants decided to take resident in my coffee. I tried to convince her it was just extra protein. It was okay, but she wasn't having it. But ants, we're, to- we're told about their, their diligence to work and to provide, and we're, we're told throughout the scriptures that, 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 a, that, a, that, a, that a, the head of the household is to provide for his family, that if, if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. So there's all of these commands to where we're supposed to, we're not supposed to be irresponsible. It's okay to be concerned for your children, their spiritual upbringing. Do they know Jesus? Are they walking with Jesus? That's concern. There's a different thing if you're worried about how are my kids doing to the neighbors next door? Do they have all the toys? Are they playing all the sports? Are we trying to, I want to, I'm worried about making sure that we're living up to the status quo. That's, that's, that's different. And I hope that the, we can see the contrast. I, I don't want to go too far because I need the smackdown not to worry. And my, my propensity is to start justifying and debating with God. I heard it said by somebody recently that we are to be ready for Jesus to return today, but to prepare like we're going to be here for a lifetime. I thought it was really good. Um, the Life Application Bible's commentary says this, uh, worry presents us with the dual temptation to distrust God and to substitute fear for practical action. Action. Worry means paying attention to what we cannot change instead of putting our energies into work to work in effective ways. And I thought that was quite good. Okay. For this reason, I say to you, well, what's he about to say to us? He's, 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 he's hit us with, you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve money and God simultaneously. Uh, if you fall into the trap of worshiping money, which is, a t- money's inert. Uh, money's just something, you know, the Bible says nowhere that money's the root of all evil. It's, it's the love of money, which is the root of all evil. It's totally different. And so he says, because of this, as you have God and you have money, for this reason, since you can't serve both, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. And since this section springboards from the last, um, the last five verses, and when Ben told me that he was going to make fun of me, he started talking about our trip to, to Ohio. And he started by making fun of, like he said he was going to make fun of me. And so I'm like waiting for it. And then he starts talking about those old cars, which I had no, like those old cars. There were a bunch of these old cars. And where I thought he was going to make fun of me, because all the, like the two guys, BJ and Ben are like, no, those are like something or something. Like, like, well, like a, that wasn't a Ford. It was a Rolls Royce something. And they're like, these are like, really, these and they're like, they're really expensive. Ben's like, I think that they're like probably like a million dollars or something. I'm like, no way. And so then we get in the elevator with a guy, and where I thought he was going to make fun of me is I was the one guy, like, I'm in the elevator, so the guy's trapped. So, dude, how much do those cars cost? And everybody's like, you can't ask that question. I'm like, well, they didn't say that, but that's what you're not supposed to. And the guy looked at me, he's like, good luck finding anybody that's willing to sell one. And I'm like, he told me that they're upwards of a million dollars, and the guy just sort of smiled and wouldn't answer. Then he quickly escaped out of the elevator. It's like, ugh, you're lucky I was on a red-eye flight last night, buddy, or I would, like, be chasing you down trying to get the information. Um, okay, back on track here. Ben ended up not really making fun of me last week. <laughs> like, I was kind of disappointed. He, he was saying that I was like a bean counter, which I am totally am a bean counter. I, I, I um, when we went to the airport, we're taking a red-eye flight, and I'm kind of like, oh, do I want to try to sleep or do I want to get coffee? And coffee's always going to win out with me, so I got coffee with Ben. Ben gets his coffee, and the lady says, do you want a receipt? And she says, no. Or he says, no. She throws away the receipt, and she looks at me, and I'm like, yeah, I want a receipt. I, like, have my phone out because I have my, my you need a budget, and I'm entering all in. This is the coffee shop. This is this. This counts as a restaurant. I'm, like, putting my phone, and then I sit down with a cup of coffee. I'm like, Ben, you just threw away your receipt. <laughs> Like, we're going to be going, we're going away for three days. Like, how are you going to be able to put that into your spreadsheet for like, that you took $1.32 and a cup of coffee? And he's like, 
I know there's money there. I'm good. It's like we're... And so there's a side of me, like a Debbie's one. Debbie, like we're... <laughs> she's like, she's like crying. <laughs> she's a bookkeeper and like <laughs> it's the one career that fit her gifting. And you know, I mean, not the one, but it's... We're on the same team here. We... <laughs> And so, while we're to be wise, we're to, like the Bible, the Bible, I think, gives instructions. Now, Jesus is pushing back. And I do think that that danger, why I think Ben kind of gave good things about this, there's a side of me that was like, kind of like, man, could I go a whole week? Like, could I even go a whole week and just save the receipts and just say, like, at the end of the month, I'll do all the, I, I, I don't think I can. And so there's sort of like this envy within me, like, I wish I could just not be like wound so tight about certain things. And I think that this is what Jesus is sort of getting at. Like, I say to you, don't be worried about the coffee receipt. Like, you know, I, I, I don't know. That's not, that's blasphemy. He didn't say that. He, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat, what you will drink for your body, what will happen to you. He, he's pointing to trusting him. Um, Henry Ironside in his sermon on this, uh, he says, when Jesus said, take no thought, he did not mean that his disciples should be careless or improvident, but they are forbidden to be anxious, to become distressed and perplexed as they face the future. He who has saved and cared for us thus far can be dependent, can be depended upon to undertake and provide for us to the end. And he's saying that this is, this is a command not to worry about your life, your, the clothing, your, your sustenance but to trust in God. And, and I think that the tension is, is because the Bible does call us to sort of be responsible in this area, but as we're responsible in this area, it's so easy to turn it into your God and to become enslaved to it. And as a person who's pushing back, as Jesus is speaking, I can hear the disciples saying, Lord, we need these things. We need food. We need sustenance. We need clothing. And I don't think he's, see, I don't even have the, in my mind, I don't know what good clothing is. To me, Kirkland brand is like the top, the high end stuff, and uh, beyond that, I don't. I guess there's other stuff. So I don't think he's like th- these guys are just. We're talking just essential clothing. We're not even talking about luxuries. And, and so I can sense the disciples in their minds, sort of, or then the audience, sort of pushing back. But, but Jesus, we need these things. In fact, your Scripture tells us to be responsible in these areas. And I love how Jesus teaches. He, it's, a, it's almost like he's God and he can see, hear their thoughts and anticipate where they're going. And then he begins to teach and he asks this question. He says, is life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? I'm going to skip past verse 27. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. Are they, they do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon, in all of his glory, clothed himself like one of these. But if God clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? This behind me is a picture. It's better on that because it's too light in here. But these are... Uh, flowers from Israel. This is, um, if you make the trip to Israel, the march when we go, throughout Israel, it's like these beautiful poppies, like red poppies are everywhere. Uh, in this setting, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching on the hillside that that his back would have been to the Sea of Galilee, big field. And he's just a brilliant teacher. I mean, at the end of this, when we, uh, I was trying to map out sort of where we're going in the next few weeks. And I stumbled across verse 28 of chapter 7 that says, When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not like the scribes. So I think as Jesus is teaching, he looks around to the field and he sees these beautiful poppies and uh, birds flying around. Israel's like a, a, a bird's paradise. Um, I, I don't really look at a lot of birds, um, but we have them. And... He looks at the birds and he's like, look at the birds. They're not all worried about their IRA and their 401k and what they're going to eat 17 years from now. They just sort of 
fly around. There's food. Hey, I'm going to eat the food. Hey, that guy left his cheeseburger on the table. I'm going to eat the cheeseburger. Which you never have in Israel, the cheese. Like, I just want to, you know. <laughs> but the bird's here. Um, then he says, look at these flowers. Look at the beauty of this flower. King Solomon, the wisest, most wealthiest king in all of Israel. Not even his clothing matched the beauty of, of these flowers. And Jesus sort of reasons from the lesser to the greater. See, as Christians, we, we from the scripture, we don't have a worldview that like all life is the same. The Bible makes it very clear that, that humanity is distinct from all of other creation, that we are created in God's image. And Jesus goes to the birds and to the flowers, and he says, these are lower on the food chain than you are by far. And if God will provide for them, don't you think God, who created you, who knew you, who knows the hairs on your head, don't you think he'll take care of you also? And it's really a beautiful picture of what Jesus is trying to convey to us who God is. And how he loves us and how he cares for us and how he desires us to walk with him. He desires us not to be worried. He desires us to know that he is there to take care of us. But then he says, you have little faith. And this is like, this hurts. For me as a person of faith who I have my struggles with worry and concern and anxiety because I'm confronted with the reality at two in the morning when I wake up and I'm kind of tossing and turning. Like, what am I going to do? How am I going to solve this problem? How's this going to work out? And it dawned on me this Wednesday, I had one of these moments. We're going on a little, a little like two-day hiking trip. Not, not even hiking trip, it's not. We're going to a hotel at Yosemite because somebody gave it to us and it's pretty close to camping for my family. And uh, so I'd, I'd, um, I just assumed that when we were away, our usual like dog sitter would just be available. And then it dawned on me at like one in the morning, Melanie's going to be in Ohio. And at like finding help for two little cute dogs, I mean, they're, well, they're cute. They're, one's very well behaved. The other one's a puppy. That's so a puppy. You can't defend a puppy. The other, they are cute. I already found somebody. I'm not. I'm not searching for a replacement. The problem was solved. But I am like freaking out at two in the morning, tossing and turning. Who am I going to call? Who guy? My dog sitter is gone. <laughs> and all I can think about is the tragedy of what are we going to do. Instead of the gratitude of like, hey, we get to go to Yosemite for a day. Like, it's going to be awesome. And then it like dawned on me as I like have my phone out, like going, who can I ask? Who can I ask? Who can I? And I'm like, oh no, rats. I'm preaching on worry this week. So I hope this isn't a sign for the whole week that I'm going to struggle and be just a nervous wreck all week so that I can talk to you. But it happened on Wednesday. Where was I? Oh, and I realized that I'm not trusting God to provide, you know? You have little faith. Now back to this verse 27. This is a question I wanted to handle on its own. And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? I, um, I made the mistake of Googling worry. I wasn't worried beforehand. Now I'm worried. Like, man, if you Google worry, there's like, I mean, a ton of hits. And the one that jumped out at me from was WebMD, which is always a horrible place to go because then I'm super worried that I'm going to get whatever I'm reading. Like, seriously, I read whatever. I, I have a mild headache. I'm convinced I'm dying of brain cancer, like within 30 minutes. I'm like, this is it. Start saying goodbye to my kids and everything. And it's like, hey, Anna, I'm like, she's like, well, I got a headache too. And the kids have a headache. Oh, so you don't think that we all, maybe we all have it. Like it's, <laughs> that, that's just how my mind works. It's my gift. Um, so worry will, worry will not add even an hour. Jesus is brilliant. But just to validate what Jesus says, this is what WebMD has to say. Uh, from WebMD, 
chronic worry and emotional stress can trigger a host of health problems. Uh, The problem occurs when fight or flight is triggered daily by excessive worrying and anxiety. The fight or flight response causes the body's sympathetic nervous system to release stress hormones such as cortisol. These hormones can boost sugar levels and triglycerides, blood fats, that can be used by the body for fuel. The hormones also cause physical reactions such as uh, difficulty swallowing, I had a hard time swallowing right there, uh, dizziness, dry mouth, fast heartbeat, fatigue, headaches, inability to concentrate, irritability, muscle aches, muscle tension, nausea, nervous energy, rapid breathing, shortness of breath, sweating, trembling and twitching, When the excessive fuel in the body isn't used for physical activities, the chronic anxiety and outpouring of stress hormones can have serious physical consequences, including suppression of the immune system, digestive disorders, muscle tension, short-term memory loss, premature coronary artery disease, heart attack. If excessive worrying and high anxiety go untreated, they can lead to depression, even suicidal thoughts. Now, I am not making light of worrying. All week, my eyes have been twitching doing this, and I read this, and I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> i got a dry mouth right now. Like, see, it's like bad. I'm like, I, um, I'm not making light of this. In fact, I'm doing just the opposite, that this is, Jesus knows how destructive worrying can be. In fact, I would probably go as far as to say that worry and anxiety are a tool of Satan to bring death and destruction in a person's life because Satan ultimately wants us to take our eyes off of God. God is saying, I want to bring you peace. I want to bring you joy. Um, Don't be the Christian that tells your Christian brother or sister that they're struggling with worry and anxiety like, you just need to trust Jesus, right? Just trust Jesus and it'll all be better, right? Now, now, tr- trusting Jesus is good. But, but sometimes worry and anxiety, and it, it, it can be connected to so much more. And so trust Jesus and get help. I think it was in October of last year, I was at a chaplain's conference a regional chaplain's conference that happened at the medical examiner's office. And um, two shrinks came up to start talking. That's, that's kind of how I view the mental health. That's how I viewed, so I'm just being transparent here. And uh, so we had to listen to these two ladies that were, whatever their titles were, share about post-traumatic stress. And as the first lady's talking, I'm sitting there going, oh, man, guilty, guilty. Guilty. I have that. I have that. I have that. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, where's the coffee at? I want to go excuse myself. And so then we had lunch, and then the second lady got up and sp- spoke, and so she started talking about their treatment, this EMDR treatment. And uh, at the end of it, she said, well, we've only done this twice before. We've done it for all of the chief of police in the county and the, and the sheriff that we would offer our treatment for free, and we're going to do it for the chaplains of San Diego County is that we'll offer our services for free because we believe that you, uh, these two groups are uh, groups of people that they, they invest their lives helping other people, but they never get help themselves. And so we would like to open our services to free. You know, just, just send, them a, send us an email afterwards. And so a couple days went by, and I send this lady an email. And I say, I'm a chaplain that was at the thing. I, um, I believe that post-traumatic stress is real. I, um, I'm willing to kind of subject myself to you so that I can help other people. And I feel like I'm a good test subject because I've had plenty of trauma in my life. And so I'll at least subject myself to this before I declare you a whack job or something. I said a little bit nicer than that. <laughs> but I essentially said that, that I, 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 I don't really buy into this. But because I want to help other people, I'm willing to give it a shot. And so she emailed back really funny. It was like, well, I'm so thankful that you're willing to subject yourself to my life. And uh, by that point, I'm like, I don't think I really care about helping people this much to like follow through. 
But so then I follow through, but, and I'm like, I just want to make sure that this is free because I'm not paying a dime for any of this. Like, <laughs> and so I go, and I, I, I sit down with her the first time as the orientation, and she says, okay, what was your traumatic event? I'm like, you want my, like, a traumatic event? Like, do you want to go back to my childhood? Do you want to go through the military when my best friend was killed in Afghanistan? Do you want to go to this year? There's been seven major deaths in the church. You pick one, and I'll start talking about it. And so she's like, okay, it's a good thing. I don't, have a, I don't have the next couple of appointments, so I have a couple hours to spend. So I think I spent like three hours. <laughs> I think she had watched that movie, The Best Place to Start is the Very Beginning, and we, we went through, and I talked to her. And then I, she said, okay, three times we'll meet. By the third time, I'm telling her, I'm like, yeah, I think I'm in for the last go-round. I think, I think I'm fixed. So I, <laughs> I, and I, and I, and I get there, and the lady says, well, we're just going to kind of keep going. We'll know when you've made some progress. It's like, oh. So like eight sessions later, <laughs> I say this because it was helpful. Like it was super helpful. I didn't feel like there was any conflict with my faith, with the scriptures. In fact, she said, what, what I'm doing, we don't even know why it works. We just believe that God has created our brains to be able to handle trauma. And once you reach a certain capacity, things begin to shut down and then you start spiraling. And so what we think is that we're basically setting the body so that, that it can function as God created. And, and I believed it. And so I'm not making, while I'm making fun of myself, and I always will do that, I am not making fun of any of you. And if you are struggling with worry, turn to God and begin to go down the road to get help. Because I, I know for certain that God wants you to be freed from the bondage of worry and anxiety. He goes on to say in verse 31, Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. The, the, the first thing that I want to point out to you Oh, man, Pastor Ben, can you please silence your cell phone? <laughs> I think he even announced it to everybody. <laughs> What's the punishment? What can we make him do for us? <laughs> he owes us all Snicker bars or something. I don't know. Okay. In verse 32, in my Bible, I have high, like circle, highlight, whatever you need to do. Um, for your heavenly Father knows that you need. Circle need, highlight need. Jesus is not at all dismissing that there are needs, food, clothing, shelter, these things. These are true things that you need. He says, don't worry about these things. And he's not saying that these things aren't important, that they're not needed. I would caution myself and all of us because a lot of times we lump wants into needs. And it's easy to do this because I also think that God is so gracious to us that he gives us far more than we need. But he says, for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. So he's not telling us to say, oh, just throw all that stuff out. What he's saying is, don't put your faith and hope and trust in the stuff and money Put your faith and hope and trust in him and allow him to provide. So often I think that we, we face a time of need or perceived need and we rob God the opportunity of providing for us because we have these wonderful things called credit cards. We have these wonderful things called student loans. Wonderful is used very sarcastically, just to be clear. Randy Alcorn says this, materialism is the mother of anxiety. People lay up treasures on earth rather than in heaven, not only because of greed and selfishness or selfishness, but also because of fear and insecurity. Amen. Yet putting our hope in earthly treasures does nothing but multiply anxiety. Why? Because earthly treasures are so temporary and so uncertain. And this whole teaching is Jesus moving us 
to trusting in God. Last year in August, um, well, it was in July, George Farrington, who was the pastor of this church many years ago and was a, had a, became a dear friend and had a pro, profound impact in my life, he passed away, and then Evie passed away one week later. And um, I learned so much through their lives, and I'm so thankful for knowing them at this season of their life where they where they were because they were in that literally the very last um, chapter of their lives um, that I would have known them for the last you know seven years of their life. And one thing that I really learned from them is tr- trusting God and c- to know that God will provide for you um, regardless of how bleak it looks. They demonstrated this in their lives, but they also uh, demonstrated it and taught me through hymns. I didn't know, I, I think I knew Amazing Grace before I came to this church. Now I know a whole bunch of hymns, especially early on when that's all we did. And George would get up here with his asthma and he would lead us in singing uh, when there were like 12 of us. And one of the great songs that it was so good, he would sit up here and he would do this. And I'm not sure what this was for. Like I, 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 I'm pretty sure it was for me to do something according to that, but I don't know how that works. Um, but it's a, an old hymn, God Will Take Care of You. And this hymn is so catchy, and it will get stuck in your head. And it go, these are the words, Be not dismayed, whatever be tied, God will take care of you. Beneath his wings of love abide, and God will take care of you. God will take care of you through every day, over all the way, he will take care of you. God will take care of you. Through the days of toil, when heart doth fail, God will take care of you. When dangers fierce, your path assail, then God will take care of you. All you may need, he will provide. God will take care of you. Nothing you ask will be denied. God will take care of you. No matter what be the test, God will take care of you. Lean weary one upon his breast, God will take care of you. You know what I love most about that hymn? When I just read this 11 times, I said, God will take care of you. And if I sang it, well, not if I, if we sang it as it was supposed to be sung, we would have the the chorus in there. And we would say in this song, God will take care of you 20 times. And that God will take care of you is the thing that gets stuck in your head. So George would get up here and sing, God will take care of you. And then all week I'd have in my head, playing on my head radio, uh, God will take care of you. And you know what? There's no greater thing to get stuck in your head because the whole point of this passage, the whole point that Jesus is trying to convey to us is that God cares about you. He will take care of you. You can trust him. And if you're trusting him to care for you, if you're walking with him, if you're leaning upon him to make your decisions and how you go about your life, then your worry meter will go down and your faith will increase. And I'm like the the man that we just studied about on Tuesday night Bible study with a sick little kid. And he says, if you can do this. And Jesus says, if you can do this. And the guy says, "Lord, Lord, help my faith increase. And as we go through our lives, you'll see how God will take care of you. And in verse 33, he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, this whole theme of his righteousness, his kingdom keep coming up. We we know before this sermon started that John the Baptist and Jesus were both preaching repentance for the kingdom of God is at hand. When we came to Matthew uh, 5, 6, I believe, and we read, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. To, to, to me, that, that had a huge impact because what does is, what is repentance look like? So I think on the negative side, repentance means sorrow, remorse in, in your mind, not necessarily stopping the action, but I feel like the, the fruit of repentance suddenly begin to develop that there's this longing and this desire for his righteousness, his truth. Even when I, I mean, still to this day, like I am not perfect at all. 
but when I sin, when I miss the mark, I, like I'm quick to like, Lord, I I'm off. I I want to like I, I want to be right. I want to walk with you. I want to honor you. I want there to be righteousness in in my heart, in my mouth, the, how everything about me. And so last week when I was at Calvary Chapel Fallbrook, uh, there's a note here for Pastor Barry, but I had somewhere in my message I had said that like my fear of standing before God affects my decisions now, and I had said something about um, so when I get in a fight with my wife, like I'm pretty much always sure that I'm at fault. And I've gotten much better because of that day when I stand before him, I've gotten way better at apologizing. I'm sure Anna can tell you what it was, but I got home for the message and then I got in a fight with Anna. I did. I don't remind everybody. I don't, I don't remember exactly what it was. But there was a little like tension. Oh yeah, I know what it was now. I don't need to drink. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Holy Spirit's working. <laughs> And I made a few comments, and I, it wasn't her fault, but I was blaming her for the problem. And then as I'm trying to deal with the problem, I'm getting, like, more upset. And then I'm remembering what I had just preached on. And then, like, almost, like, right away, I mean, like, within, like, within an hour, I was like, that wasn't your fault. I'm sorry. I, like, I'm totally to blame. You did nothing wrong. And um, so... I think sometimes this desire for righteousness, it doesn't mean that you're perfect. People, people tend to think that if you desire righteousness, that means you're perfect. I think that the desire is that when you m- miss the mark, you, you are quick to repent, you're quick to adjust, and quick can be a little bit longer at times. I've, just, I've, I've, got, I've had a lot of practice at having to say I'm sorry. And uh, so swallowing that pill is not as hard anymore. Um, okay, I'm way off track here. Um, I, this all of them, Pastor Barry, and remembering that I preached up there. And so I realized they've been preaching through Matthew. And so this week, I, I, I'm like, oh, hey, I didn't realize Barry was going through Matthew until I went up there. So I kind of uh, like, kind of started looking back, and I'm like, oh, man, Pastor Barry's like way more organized. He like, when he preaches a message, he provides his notes. Um, and so I look at his notes. I'm like, well, what did Barry say about this? And it was really good. Um, dealing with... Um, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. I really like what Barry had to say. He said, seeking God's righteousness means that we are known for conduct that makes God smile. Like, it's just so, like, that how you conduct your lives, that there's this picture of God smiling down on his child who he's proud of. He goes on to say, we love what is true. We hate what is false. We love others. We are generous we are humble, we are forgiving, we are diligent and hardworking, not slothful and lazy. We have integrity. We will honor marriage and family. And so I think that this is, but first seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Our, our desire should be longing to serve the king, the creator. And he says, and all of these things will be added to you. If we walk with God, if we serve him, if we seek to please him, He's going to take care. I mean, he's going to take care of us. And I don't want to encourage it, but the reality is in my life, even when I've like been going the other direction, he's taking care of me because he's so kind and so merciful. It's the good thing that he's God and I'm not because I, it would it'd be a different story. Then Jesus ends with this. So do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will care for itself. The word care is literally worry. So it should be, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. After he's pointed to the birds of the field, I just don't think that animals, I have two dogs, they're not exactly concerned. They they just sort of like live. Like they eat, they sleep, the puppy causes destruction. I don't even think about it. They just kind of cruise like birds, like I don't do a lot of bird watching. I've hung out with chickens a little bit. I don't even think that, I'm not even sure that chickens process much in their brain. Um, we're, we're the, I, I'm pretty confident that we're the only created being that has enough thought to think beyond the now and that we, 
we worry about tomorrow, we worry about next year. I'm really amazing at worry. I, 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 some people have like a one-year plan and a five-year plan. I can go out to like, well, 40 years from now, will I have enough? And he says, just worry about today. Um, I, I get the question on a fairly regular basis dealing with my time in the SEAL teams. And the question is, is um, did, did you almost quit the answer is, yeah, <laughs> I wanted to quit all the time. <laughs> I was just too stupid to quit. Like, I didn't know any, but like I, but, but on a serious note, there were two times that I was, man, had the instructors, like, had they just pushed another five minutes, minute, I, I would have quit. Um, the, the one time, I'm not going to talk about now, I was sick and I had a cold and I had to do a swim and I, but it was the, the the second day of Hell Week, November 28th or 29th, depending if we'd crossed over midnight or not. The air temp in San Diego had been dropping down to, to 38 degrees. And the first night of Hell Week, we'd gone through this thing called Steel Pier. And it was, it was miserable. Um, there was this Steel Pier, if you can imagine that. And it went out and over the water. And they had half the class sort of stripping down um, to, our, to our, our, like, tri shorts. And they had a fine mist going out, and it was miserable. And the other half were jumping into the bay, sort of stripping off their clothing, like, practicing. Apparently, you can make pants float. I've never done it successfully. I feel like it's more like a, you're trying to drown us. And so we're going through this. I, I, the hypothermia had kicked in. I just remember jumping into the, the 40 degree or 40 to 50 degree water in the bay thinking, oh man, this is so warm in here. Like I want to get in here. And then they'd pull us out to that fine mist. And our class went from like 80 guys down to 30 guys that night. And I just remember guys were leaving away. I was trying to stand up. They're like, what are you doing? And I, they're, like, they're like, are you quitting? I'm like, I'm not quitting. Everybody's standing up. They're like, all those guys are quitting. I'm like, oh, let me lay back down. It was miserable. Then the next day, same time of day, we were at the beach, and they started talking to us, and they're saying, we're leaving from here, and we're going to go do Steel Pier again. And I'm like, there's, like, there is no way I can do that. I, like, I just can't. There's no way I'm going to do it again. I can't. I'm going to quit. And so then we lost, like, 15 more guys, and our class, like, whittled down to, like, whatever the numbers were. Like, we'd whittled down even more. And I thought, like, I'm like, well, when we get up to move, that's when I'm going to quit. Like, I'm not going to stand up if I don't have to. But if I, when we stand up, I'm done. And I remember an instructor came and said, hey, everybody done quitting? He's like, guess we're all done quitting. It's like, no more quitting's allowed for the rest of hell week. And I'm like, okay. And you know what? It never came. It, they never did it. And I learned this as an instructor that I would make up all kinds of stories and see that I can get people worried about the future. I sit down at lunch. They're eating their lunch. I'm like, hey, guys, after dinner, We've, con we've uh, contracted out this big tanker, and they're going to dump a whole boatload of ice right in the ocean where we're going to go out, and it, we're going to go spend a couple hours in it. And I'd make up all of these stories. I mean, by Wednesday of Hell Week, the guys are thinking not straight. They stand up for lunch. They're like, I'm done. I can't do that stuff. It's like, yes, I got one. But I realized that this is the game that Satan plays with us. He likes to worry, uh, get us worried about stuff that never happens. I'll never forget that first Bible study that I taught. Um, I, I was, I'm out of time to tell the whole story, but we went to the Shangri-La. I, I was a Navy SEAL. I'd never taught a Bible study before in my life. Um, I tried to get out of this. Um, Anna was all for it. She's like, no, I love old people. Let's go. And so I'm like, oh, I got to teach a Bible study. What do, you, what do you teach old people? Like, what do you teach them? And I was a young man at the time, and so like Tim Keller, I just thought old people worried about dying and stuff. And they were consumed with worry, and so I thought, I'm going to teach this passage, and this is the section that I taught these people. So I walked into the old person's home, and I was met by this 96-year-old lady, Maureen, and I was just convinced that she spent her whole days worried about the end. I literally did, I just didn't know older people back then, uh, even last week, when I was asked to speak on Memorial Day, I met by a 93-year-old lady saying, I'm just ready to go. 
but my stinking friends keep praying that I'd stay healthy and alive. <laughs> and she was like this little angel of a lady. And so I go through and teach this whole study about worrying. And Maureen, at the end of it, she said, man, you need to learn how to relax. Um, and she gave me a sermon that I've never forgotten. She looked at me and she said, you know, guys, I've been living by a saying my whole life. And the saying is this, wait to worry. I'm like, is there more? She's like, nope, just wait to worry. Because I found that the things I'm worried about are always a week off or two weeks off or a month out. So I've always given myself permission to worry, but I have to just wait. And when the day comes, then I can worry on that day. Other than that, I'm not going to think about it. Like, hmm. And I was still at the point trying to say, well, worry obviously works because stuff never happens. You know, like, so let's keep. And Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. He acknowledges that tomorrow will have plenty to be worried about then. But just trust God for today and God will get you through. He'll give you the grace that you need today. This whole section is just beautiful because it it points us to trust in God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, totally capable. Whatever your greatest problem is, he can handle it. And what he wants from us is to turn to him, to trust him. I read something by John Anderson, a pastor, handing this, and I want to close with his words. He says, in dealing with worry and anxiety, the way out, the answer, the remedy is turn your gaze upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and let the words and the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And Father, we do thank you um, that you are a mighty, all-powerful God who cares for us. We thank you, Lord, that you assure us that you will care for us, You'll care for our needs. You'll provide for us even through death in Christ. And so, Father, I come before you um, to confess my own worry and my own anxiety. Lord, we know that worry and anxiety is not of you. And so, Father, we confess it. We ask that you would, Lord, help us to truly let go and to trust you. Lord, we're thankful that you have our lives in control. We pray that you would help us to rest there. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.